This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio, and now in its 25th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. The coming demise of a telecom strategy could mean connected car services in your vehicle will suddenly stop working. We'll give you the surprising details next. And the smart money is now betting we will see self-driving trucks long before we see autonomous cars. And we'll have more on that coming up as well. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack D. Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris is based at one end of the country. I'm at the other one. And uh, we are closing in on Christmas here as uh, we're putting together America on the Road for this week. Uh, do you have snow on the ground, Chris? We don't, actually. It's kind of bleak and uh, brown here right now. Not, not very holiday spiritish in Maine uh, this time of year. Well, let's hope you get, uh, get that. We're having a, a little bit of bleakness here in Southern California as well. But it's, it's welcome bleakness, I guess, because it's raining here and uh, uh, has been raining this week. And uh, we kind of like that because it happens so seldom. It also is the lead story on the news. Uh, we're in storm watch, quote unquote. So uh, I always get a kick out of that as a former Midwesterner. You have more interesting weather than we do in Southern California, that's for sure. This week we have a terrific guest. Our special guest is Ken Munkelt. He is Senior Product Education Planner at Toyota North America. He will be talking about the all-new 2022 Toyota Tundra full-size pickup truck. He's an absolute expert on that. I ran into him at the introductory drive event in San Antonio, and he had a lot to say about the pickup truck, so we will chat with him about that. In the road test segment, Chris, tell us a bit about the vehicle you'll be talking about. I drove the 2022 Chevrolet Trailblazer. It's the uh, active trim, so it's got a little bit of uh, off-road goodies here and there. So excited to talk about it. Yeah, active. I like being active. You know, everything's for an active lifestyle, right? You never hear a car designed for the sedentary lifestyle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just take it easy. We have a car for you. Yeah, maybe they should. I mean, a lot of people are sedentary. Uh, I certainly had a vehicle for the active lifestyle. I had one of the hottest vehicles you can get for under $30,000, maybe the hottest vehicle you can get for under $30,000. It's the 2022 Honda Civic Si, hot off the press. When we come back and talk about road test vehicles, that's uh, one of the vehicles we will have for you. And before that, we have interesting news about the demise of a telecom system that could throw your car for a loop. <laughs> it could be problematic. Uh, so stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack D. Red with you, and thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack D. Red back with you. It is news time and fascinating news. I mean, we try to have interesting news each week for you, uh, news of the automotive world. This, this one kind of caught me by surprise, Chris, and it's heavily underreported, let's put it that way. It is the end of 3G telecom. And of course, uh, 3G telecom is going away uh, fairly soon. What people don't realize and has been not reported much at all is that when that uh, technology goes away, it's basically a cellular phone type of technology. When that goes away, a lot of connected car systems in older cars will just cease to work. <laughs> which kind of uh, is not a good thing at all, is it? 
No, not at all, especially when people are trying to hold on to their vehicles for as long as possible right now. Yeah. The telecom com- companies are switching to 5G. That is the coming thing. Uh, we're currently mostly in 4G. I imagine that my iPhone and, and yours is running 4G. You might be running 5G because you're an, a, a tech head with an advanced kind of tech. But when 3G goes away, and uh, it, it will be quite problematic and... Uh, the the car company response to this in in some ways is nothing more than a shrug of the shoulders. <laughs> so what's going to happen is 3G, the 3G bandwidth uh, is going to be taken back by the Federal Communications Commission. It will be removed and, and used for other purposes, which will leave cars that depend on 3G communications kind of in limbo. In theory, they can be upgraded, or some of them can be upgraded to run 4G and then maybe even 5G. And the various manufacturer responses to that are all over the ballpark. Uh, But some of the services you could lose are things like navigation and traffic data, pretty important. Emergency calls, (laughs) I'd say that's pretty important. Nice things like remote locking and unlocking. Voice controls within your car. Uh, hotspot capabilities, telematic data, just a, a bunch of stuff could just go out the window. And one day it'll be working and the next day it won't be working. And, you know, a lot of drivers w- will just not understand why. Yeah, you know, you could say, well, I could do without the connected services or I don't need this or need that. But some of these services, like you said, are pretty integral to the vehicle safety systems. I mean, some of these are uh, impacting OnStar, which is one of GM's. Uh, major communication things, although they've said they're going to start or they have started pushing over the air updates and may need to do some hardware swapping to fix it. But uh, some of these features that are going to go away are pretty important. Yeah. And I think over over the air updates are a, a bit of a double edged sword here. And I, I think the over the air update has to take place before 3G goes away. Right. Or you won't be able to communicate. A lot of there's a, a kind of a wide variety of responses by the car companies to this issue. Stellantis, of course, that makes Jeeps and Dodges and Chryslers and and those kinds of vehicles, says it will update its uh, vehicles uh, to 4G for its customers if they come in and pay for it, (laughs) Uh, which you wonder if they'll even know to do that. They will have to have the necessary hardware and, uh, you know, pay a fee to do that and then maybe pay for data over time. Subaru, on the other hand, says it will do the fix for no cost but then the customer has to be connected to a has a connected vehicle plan so they there is a cost in that you have to have the plan tesla will probably fix things it says it will charge $200 to upgrade its model s's to a more appropriate generation of telecom system and then companies like or brands like toyota and lexus are just kind of shrugging their shoulders and saying well we're not going to do anything <laughs> Now, maybe consumers will demand that they do something, but uh, the response to this is interesting. And I think a lot of it stems from the fact that once the manufacturer sells the cars to you and the car is several years old, they're really not all that concerned about it, the, the manufacturer. Yeah, you know, I think that their incentive or their their push here is to, you know, buy a new car. Why not? You, you need a new car at this point in time. But I would like to see a stronger communication out of this effort. You know, I've picked it up from a few news outlets. You and I talked about it a little bit earlier. But as you said, it is pretty quiet. I mean, like there's nothing, at least in the national news that I've seen and, and I'm, could be wrong here that, that has stated this so far. So uh, some people are just going to wake up one day and not be able to either unlock their car remotely or use navigation or whatever the case might be. So uh, it would be nice to see a stronger communication. Right. Absolutely true. I think 
General Motors with OnStar. Of course, they brand OnStar and they push OnStar, and I think they will be doing some stuff uh, to help their customers with older vehicles. Uh, you know, I've got an ancient vehicle with OnStar from like Gen One or something like that. I think that's you know way too early to to uh, be fixed in this way, but uh, I think a lot of vehicles can. Well, let's shift gears here and, and talk about something that you and I had talked about, I think, for a couple of years. And I think now the, the industry is catching up with our advanced thinking, Chris. And, and that is about autonomous vehicles. Now the smart money is starting to believe that uh, the major autonomous uh, breakthrough will be with over-the-road trucks and delivery trucks and things like that, as opposed to personal passenger cars. And I think you and I have both looked at that as, as fairly logical for a long time. Of course, when you're investing in an over-the-road truck, you have a, a, a vehicle that very often costs uh, well over $100,000, and you can afford to invest in this type of technology. And it's a technology that also is a business expense and can be depreciated and, and all of that uh, fine stuff that doesn't typically happen with a, a passenger car. So it makes a lot of sense. Beyond that, trucks are operated... Uh, in situations, especially over-the-road trucks, are operated on highways where autonomous operation might be uh, a little easier to engineer. What are your thoughts on that, Chris? I agree. You know, OTR trucks, over-the-road trucks, they travel the same route back and forth. So uh, it's a lot easier to build in a technology that can handle a single route rather than having to navigate, say, a city downtown or a city center uh, at some point in time. Plus, if you look at the current sort of semi-autonomous driving technology that we have, Cadillac Supercruise and some others work on highways. So it's logical that you know autonomous driving, especially with trucks, would happen first on a highway where they travel the most. So uh, I could see it being a boon too. You know, I, I think that one of the things that people talk about is trucker fatigue and you know time on the road. And there's also a major labor shortage in the trucker uh, on the trucks for trucks right now. So um, I think anything they can do to improve safety and also the uh, you know the labor situation that they're facing is is good. Yeah, it's interesting too. One thing that might be standing in the way, and this according to uh, some truck executives that are qu- uh, quoted in a Reuters story about this, is the fact that. Human drivers actually are, are likely to be faster in delivering things than uh, robotic drivers, than uh, trucks driving on their own. And that's because humans can calculate risk a little better. And uh, an autonomous vehicle has to err to the uh, least common denominator, right? I mean, uh, expect the worst uh, where somebody, a, a human, can maybe make a judgment that will uh, keep the truck moving a little faster. I, I found that kind of fascinating. Yeah, the human might also be motivated to go a little bit quicker than uh, the truck in terms of speed limit. But, you know, totally get you, you look at the sort of ethics of autonomous driving of, you know, how the computer makes a decision to either save itself or save someone else. Or, you know, it's very interesting. It's far deeper than we could ever get, you know, in one radio show. But uh, I could see why that would be the case in terms of humans being a little faster. Yeah. Interesting, too, that uh, we had t- heard a lot. And, of course, uh, we have some uh, some companies uh, uh, like Lyft and Uber that are essentially f- were founded on the idea that we would have robo-taxis running around and uh, autonomous vehicles would be ferrying people as opposed to uh, real-life humans driving these cars. That seems pretty far off. Uh, one guy quoted in the Reuters story, Peter Rollinson, who is the head of electric vehicles, uh, the startup Lucid. Uh, I, I met him when we uh, when they introduced uh, their car to their, their first customers a, a month or two ago, and we talked about that on the show. He said he thinks it would be uh, at least a decade, and this is a leading edge kind of guy, at least a decade before robo-taxis are on the street 
And it's because, uh, just as you identify, Chris, that's a pretty complex thing for a vehicle to do as opposed to driving on a super highway for, uh, on a, a fixed route. Yeah, you know, no matter how much route planning you do and technology you build into the roadside, there are still people crossing the road. There are animals, there are delivery people and tons of other cars. So it's a very complex situation. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see. A, a lot of investment now is going toward these over-the-road trucks. Uh, and that autonomous technology. There's a lot of startups uh, involved in this, and we'll just have to see how that unfolds. It's it's going to be fascinating. But I, I really do believe, and I think you and I uh, are in agreement on that, that this is likely where we're going to see autonomous vehicles first, is in these kind of vehicles, rather than on personal passenger cars. I do agree. And uh, a quick note before we get out here, Volkswagen Group has uh, just announced that it will up its spending on uh, EV tech to $100 billion. That gets to be real money when you get to be $100 billion or so. It, it says it aims to be the uh, world's leading manufacturer of electric vehicles in five years. So that's a, a bit of a challenge to our friends at uh, Tesla Motors. And when we come back, we will be road testing some fascinating vehicles. Uh, so stay with us for that with Chris Teague. This is Jack Red with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack Red with you for road test time. And wow, we've got some very cool vehicles to talk about this time around. Chris, tell us what you were driving through the wilds of Maine here in December. <laughs> the wilds of Maine is in my neighborhood. Uh, I drove the 2022 Chevrolet Trailblazer. It's a small, it's a subcompact, compact SUV. Uh, they sell it in four trims. It's got an LS, an LT, Active, and RS. So I drove the Active trim uh, the RS is kind of the top trim, but it's more of a sportier road-based model. And the Active, for all for what it's worth, it has beefier tires, beefed-up suspension, uh, a skid plate, uh, and a few other things. But it's still a very small crossover with a three-cylinder engine. So the base engine is a 1.2-liter paired with a CVT. Uh, the engine in my test vehicle is a 1.3-liter uh, turbocharged with 155 horsepower and 174 pound-feet of torque. Uh, with a nine-speed automatic transmission and all-wheel drive. So it's a little bit more muscular powertrain because it doesn't have a CVT with it. And Jack, before I go too far, I want to get your opinion here because we know that, that Ford brought back the Bronco as a rugged sort of off-road vehicle. And even the, the Bronco Sport is pretty pretty hardcore. Yet Chevy brought back the Blazer and the Trailblazer as sort of on-road crossovers. What do you think about the difference in approaches there. It strikes me that Ford is getting a lot more mileage out of what they did than uh, Chevrolet is. I mean, I don't hear a lot of buzz about Blazer or Trailblazer, and you think you would. I mean, those are, especially the Blazer is a model that uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways rivals Bronco for nostalgia and just kind of overall buzz about it. But uh, when they brought it back as, as you say, kind of an on-road crossover uh, in, in a lot of ways, not bad, not bad at all, but nondescript, uh, not uh, with tons of personality, I think it uh, kind of landed with uh, not, not much of a splash. Yeah, I agree. You know, the Trailblazer taken on its own is, a, is an extremely comfortable, small, maneuverable SUV, uh, but it's not the Trailblazer that people remember from, you know, the early 2000s. So uh, I can see why it would have been a little bit of a a shock to see that name. But uh, as I mentioned, it's got sport terrain tires are a little bit beefier than the all seasons that come on the other vehicles. Uh, it's got a beefed up off-road oriented suspension system, has a functional skid plate in the front that Chevy says it'll protect the oil pan and some, some sensitive engine gear under there. Should you decide to take it off-road, which I did not, but we did get a light ice storm 
over the weekend and I was able to get it out and it did, did quite well. The all-terrain tires, uh, no problems at all. They ride quietly on the road. So I think that's a benefit that people who buy a Bronco don't get is that you do get something that behaves very well on the road uh, and can do some light off-roading. So uh, I think for a lot of people, that's probably you know a good option. Although it, you know we talked about the name recognition doesn't quite land as hard as the Bronco does because it doesn't have the off-road capability. But the 2022 Trailblazer picked up a top safety pick plus award from the IIHS, which included good ratings for everything except for the headlights on one trim and the latch system, which is the the car seat anchors, the ease of use, which I'm very familiar with at this point in my life. So I do appreciate a good uh, latch anchor system if it tells you how boring my life is. <laughs> uh, a seven inch touchscreen is standard. My test unit came up with a tech package that uh, added an eight inch screen and a Bose stereo. So great on the tech front. Chevy's infotainment system is colorful. It's responsive and intuitive. And again, I'm going to say this again, Jack, and I want to get your opinion on it. It's easy to use, which in my opinion is the best that an infotainment system can be, even if it's a little bit simplistic because it reduces distraction while you're driving. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that, Chris. Uh, And I think uh, it's one of the highlights of the Trailblazer really is the infotainment system. And I think infotainment systems in uh, Chevrolet products and General Motors products in general they're very easy to use, very easy to understand, probably not as many wow features as uh, some of the other systems, but I think that's good. And, you know, these are being operated when you're driving a, a motor vehicle, you know, maybe at 70, 80 miles an hour. So uh, I think simple is, is a really good thing here. Totally agree. So closing thoughts on on the Trailblazer, you know, it's priced around, so the active trim that I tested is priced around 27000 uh, you can get into the Trailblazer for as little as just around 25 grand. And for what it is, you know, the 1.3 liter engine, 1.2 liter engines, yes, they're small, but they're buzzy and they're eager. Uh, and it makes a great uh, in-town runabout. So uh, I had a good time with it. I would recommend it, but I think, you know, you need to adjust your expectations based on the name accordingly. Absolutely true. I, I think a, a very good review of the Trailblazer. I liked it a lot. I think it, it's a really good looking vehicle um, and probably stops traffic there in Maine. And I think if we if we saw one here in Southern California, it might stop traffic here too, because I think uh, there's probably more Ferraris running around the Trailblazers, uh, you know, in Southern California. But that's just the way things go. <laughs> well, I was driving a vehicle that I think might be the most uh, fun vehicle you can buy for under thirty thousand bucks. It's certainly a, a contender. There, it is the 2022 Honda Civic Si. Suggested MSRP is twenty seven thousand dollars and change. And then there's a thousand dollar destination charge, so I guess we're up around twenty eight thousand bucks. But I think this is twenty eight thousand bucks, very very well spent. It's a blast, and I had a lot of fun driving this vehicle this week. In a lot of ways, it's a bit of a throwback, and of course we have seen Honda Civic SIs for a long long time now, uh, and uh, they have always been fun to drive and affordable fun, uh, a nice combination. Uh, the Civic platform itself is a great platform. It's a very useful platform. Uh, In this instance, uh, we're talking about a a four-door sedan, but uh, at the same time with a very large trunk and you know, nice back seat area. So this is, this can be a family car and you can still have a blast with it. It has a 1.5 liter turbocharged engine. Uh, Six-speed manual transmission is the only engine you can get. It has a limited slip differential, sport-tuned suspension, although it's sport-tuned, but it doesn't beat you up in everyday driving, so uh, that is very nice. One of the things that uh, Honda is is pushing these days is the fact that it has a drive mode system that has normal sport and a new individual mode, 
So you can customize your driving experience a little bit. You can also customize it by choosing the gear manually. <laughs> that you're in, uh, which I found to be a blast, uh, you know, kind of a throwback. One of the things that's important about this Civic Si is not so much that it has more ho horsepower than before, because it really doesn't. It's right around 200 horsepower, but it is torqueier. Uh, the torque band is is nice and flat, uh, heavily tuned uh, via the turbocharged engine, and it gives you a lot of torque wherever you want it. And then one of the things I found interesting too is this has automatic stop-start which I don't think I'd ever experienced before in a manual transmission car. But it works really seamlessly. It's very, very good. It also has hill holders, so <laughs> that keeps you from rolling back. And it has rev matching in the six-speed manual transmission. So uh, that performs a function that I was never super good at uh, is, uh, is rev matching and, you know, blipping that throttle and, and getting the revs to match. Uh, I've done it, and I wouldn't say that I'm uh, super adept at it, so it's nice that uh, we have a, a manual transmission that does it for you. What's your take on manual transmission in a modern car, Chris? I love it. You know, I think that if I lived in a place with more traffic like where you do, I think I'm, I might have a little bit different opinion on it. You know, the left knee gets a little tired on the clutch after a while, but They've done enough with the Civic Si, especially the, the 2022 model. You know, they brought the rev matching feature from the Civic Type R. That's extremely helpful if you're driving quickly. And some people complained about uh, rev hangs on the, the previous Civic, Civic Si. But, you know, I think for a car like this one, uh, it's a perfect match. You can see it in uh, the Hyundai Veloster N and a few other different cars. But I love it. I'm not one of those manual or only people. And I can see that, you know, most people prefer to buy automatic cars and that's why the market is where it is right now. But, you know, I'm glad that Honda and a few others are clinging to it. Yeah, I I, I really liked it, too. I, I don't know that it's, it's certainly the, uh, not the most modern feature and maybe not the quickest. I mean, if you were to have a, a vehicle like the Civic Si that had a dual clutch transmission or a real uh, fast shifting automatic, uh, it might be quicker. But like, so what? Uh, it's pretty involving to choose the gear and, and um, you know, use the clutch and do all those things that uh, we as drivers enjoy doing every now and again. It does have stiffer springs and firmer dampers, firmer shock absorbers than uh, the standard Civic. You would expect that in a, a sporty vehicle. But at the same time, as I mentioned before, it does not beat you up. I mean, as an everyday driver in uh, freeway traffic, which I <laughs> had a chance to spend a great deal of time in the vehicle in freeway traffic over the course of last week, uh, it acquits itself just just fine. So I enjoyed that. And it is a good looking vehicle. It um, gets attention. Of course, the test vehicle that I had in my driveway was in blazing orange pearl paint, blazing orange. So that's either cool or obnoxious, depending on uh, where you sit. Uh, my my daughters are not necessarily big fans of these brightly colored paints on the, some of the performance cars I drive. Where where do you sit on that, and where do your daughters sit on that, Chris? <laughs> my daughters love the colors, uh, especially you know we talk about the Civic. My, the last two that I've had in the house have been bright red and jeep does a really good job of, of sending sending me very brightly colored cars i think if you're going to buy a sports car and you want to have fun with it why not make it orange or make it red uh you're going to draw more attention from law enforcement and everybody else along the way but isn't that kind of the point yeah i maybe not drawing the attention of law enforcement except <laughs> in, a, in a good way where they pull you over and just want to chat about the car a little bit and uh, don't hand you a ticket that would that would be a sure. nice thing this also had uh wireless apple carplay and android auto and this is the most seamless integration of that of those technologies well i, I really didn't test android auto because i have an iphone but uh apple carplay worked wonderfully well it just i 
sat in the car and boom, there it is. And uh, it worked well. We we were doing the old man thing, complaining a bit about that uh, in earlier shows, but uh, this time around in the in the Honda Civic Si, it worked great. It has a nine-inch color touchscreen as your interface with the infotainment system. Maybe not the most intuitive of, of infotainments, but it, it worked very, very well using mostly the Apple CarPlay functions. And then you have a 12-speaker Bose sound system. So, uh, you know, I get to hear my old-time tunes in... <laughs> in uh, Bose stereo. So uh, all in all, uh, I'm gushing a little bit about this car because I really did like it. And uh, it is a a very strong contender for North American Car of the Year. And uh, we'll see how it fares. That voting will take place uh, toward the end of the month and early next month. And then it will be announced uh, what the North American car is, uh, I think, on on the 11th of January. So it seems as if we had two vehicles that we both liked a lot and uh, kind of expressive vehicles, the Chevy Trailblazer and the Honda Civic Si. Uh, what, what are your parting thoughts, Chris? I think both are a good value, especially the Civic, and I can't wait to actually drive the Civic, so I'm excited about both of them. Yes, and, and rightly so. Uh, exciting vehicles. And uh, when we come back, we will have an exciting interview. Ken Munkelt is the expert on the Toyota Tundra, so he will be chatting with us when we come back. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, Jack Red with you. And we'll be back right after this. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Red with you. And we are outside San Antonio, Texas, driving the uh, all-new 2022 Toyota Tundra pickup truck. And with me is a product expert on it. His name is Ken Munkelt. He is a senior product education planner for Toyota. An absolute expert on this truck. He made the presentation to us, uh, us being the uh, gathered press, uh, a little earlier today. And now I'm going to tap his brain on this thing. Number one, thanks for being with us. We do appreciate it. No problem, Jack. I'm happy to be here. I'll tell you, it's a very special occasion when we see a new Tundra, right? I mean, it doesn't come along every every year or every even five years or something like that. This, it's been a long time coming. Tell us a bit about the background of getting to the 22, an all-new Tundra pickup truck. Sure, sure. Absolutely, Jack. So yeah, it, it has been a while, um, close to 16 years, not that I'm counting, but for, for Tundra, we really wanted to get this this truck right, right? We wanted to make the best Tundra for our customers, and, and that's what we ended up doing with this new Tundra. And a lot of went into it, both design, engineering, talking to our customers. We understand how important the truck market is, and we really wanted to make sure we nailed it with this Tundra. So a lot of time and effort went into the product and development of this truck. What kind of consumer research did you do? Because I think that's got to be key. And, and you know, when you have a product that's as long as in the tooth as the previous one was while your competitors are coming out with new product and new product and new product. Uh, I mean, you got to go back to the customers and see what they want. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. We talked to the customers about absolutely everything, uh, especially current gen Tundras, what they liked, what they didn't like, what could we improve on? And a lot of the things we implemented in 22 came from our customers. Uh, I'll give you a good example. The fact that now we do a crew max with a six and a half foot bed. We always had crew max, but only with a five. So that's and a, half a five bed. passenger full rear doors. Yep. So the kind of crew max is yeah yes. four full doors. The, our largest cab and our largest cab only came with a five and a half foot bed until 22, and now we're doing a six and a half foot bed because our customers said, "Hey, listen, I love the crew max, but I need a bigger bed." than just five and a half feet. So we did six and a half feet. More more things that customers asked for is technology, in-vehicle in technology. So we really went with um, 
developing an all-new in-house Toyota audio multimedia system for this new Tundra. And you'll see it in other Toyota products as well as, as they get introduced. But that was another big thing, too. We listened to our customers on, on both um, the bed length and, and uh, multimedia, or just a couple of things. Yeah, I want to dive into multimedia. But before we do that, let's talk a bit about powertrain. Sure. the pe previous... Tundra was a V8-powered sure. conventional V8 uh, vehicle, and now you have two really innovative powertrains, mm -hmm. one even more innovative than the other, I guess you could say. Describe those to us. Sure, and, and that's a great lead-in from before. Another thing our customers wanted was better gas mileage. So that's why we went with these new two powertrains. Our uh, 3.5 liter V6 twin turbo is called iForce, and that's our core powertrain. Um, that's going to make 370 or 389 horsepower and 479 pound-feet of torque, which is both more horsepower and torque than the outgoing V8. And I know we haven't released MPG, but it will improve upon current gen. And the other motor option we have is iForce Max, and that iForce Max is the same 3.5 liter twin turbo V6, but we add a hybrid component. It's a parallel hybrid. Uh, we had a motor generator between the engine and the transmission, uh, and that's going to give us 437 horsepower and 583 pound-feet of torque. So these two new powertrains are truly innovative um, and extremely powerful and developed for this truck. Yeah, and you really can't quote uh, miles per gallon figures for, for either of those maybe yet, but uh, it, it's going to be significantly better. And I've got to believe, you know, a little bird told me that the... Uh, the hybrid powertrain is going to have really significantly better miles yeah, per gallon. I can't comment on miles per gallon, but yeah, our goal is to improve MPG. So, uh, in that new iForce Max, well, that should do that. And talk a bit about drivability. I sure. mean, uh, because when you have that hybrid powertrain, for example, you can use that electric power to add drivability uh, kind of across the board. Talk a bit about that, would you? Yeah, and absolutely. And that was a that was a big goal there, right? Bringing the hybrid technology to truck for Toyota was a no-brainer because we, we were the industry leader in hybrid technology. But bringing it to a truck where it's usable, that was the tough part because the, the capability and capacity of a Prius is totally different than a full-size truck. So we couldn't take the exact you know, hybrid system we use in a Prius and put it in a full-size truck. Yeah, in fact, this is very, very different yeah, from very anything different. In, a, yes. in a Toyota yeah. passenger car, yeah. isn't it? And the reason was we wanted to make sure we can still have a, a traditional automatic transmission. Uh, and the Tundra has a 10-speed automatic transmission. And uh, for 4x4 models, we wanted a part-time transfer case as well. And those things, mixing those with hybrid was the challenge. And that's why we went to a one-motor hybrid system uh, like I said, motor generator between the transmission and the engine, uh, and that's going to help distribute the power as needed. The truck can ride in, in all EV mode, um, and it could ride on, on using both power, EV and gas, and can ride on either or. And that was kind of what we wanted to make sure. And we couldn't lose any capacity truck-wise, and that was the challenge. And I think this, this one-motor hybrid system, this motor generator, uh, it really uh, fits the bill. Yeah, it's just an enhancement, really, sure. and uh, you don't want to lose any of that truckness. I mean, that's, Absolutely the, that's not. a key thing. This is a full-size pickup sure. truck. It's got to be a truck. So, yeah, got to uh, be a truck. 100% understand that. What kind of electric-only range? I, I kind of hate to ask that question because it's kind of a, yeah. an insignificant thing that we always ask about, but yeah. I, I might as well so get, get your take on that. I don't have the exact spec as far as how up to what speed, but at low speeds, you, you could run in all-electric mode. And if you're on the highway up to speed, doing 65 miles per hour, 
and the conditions are right, you could be running on all electric for a few miles. So I don't have the exact specs or the exact time, but if the conditions are right, low speed could be all electric, or if you're up to speed, you could be all electric. Depends yeah. on throttle input and what you're doing with the truck. You're sneaking out of the garage late at night. Yeah, you could easily do that. You yeah. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a bit about uh, suspension because there's yeah. big news there too, and, and you know, maybe overshadowed by the powertrain, but talk about that. Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Jack. So. We went with a multi-link uh, rear suspension. We did away with the leaf springs, the traditional truck leaf springs that we've used on current gen Tundra and a lot of uh, other trucks still use. We went to a coil spring multi-link setup. The reason for is, is ride quality. We really wanted the truck to ride really nice. We went to a fully box frame as well. And the fully box frame with the multi-link setup uh, just worked well together. And we know everybody uses their truck today, not just as a truck, but most people use it as an everyday driver, carrying their kids to school, going grocery shopping. The truck is used every day as just everyday things. So we wanted to make sure we could balance capacity and everyday drivability. And that's why we went with the multi-link. It really improved the ride quality. Uh, it's probably one of the biggest differences, other than the powertrain, of this truck. Yeah, and uh, really um, noticeable as I did the street drive today. Yeah, good. You know, how much better the ride sure. quality is. And you also have the opportunity, I guess, to have an air ride, at least rear suspension. Correct. That, that does some stuff. Talk, take, talk a bit about sure, that. Sure, yeah. So some packages will give you uh, load leveling rear height control air suspension. Uh, it's only in the back. and it only It's on the, on the back suspension. Uh, and you could uh, manually adjust it. So you could lower the, the rear of the truck, maybe if you're hooking up a trailer or putting a heavy load in. Uh, then maybe once you have that trailer hooked up or that heavy load, you could adjust the height uh, so your headlights are pointing at the sky. And also, it's uh, automatic load leveling as you drive down the road, too. So uh, depending on aerodynamics and what needs to be done with the load in the back and your driving condition, uh, it'll level it out. Well, speaking of trailering, you have a special system to sure, ease yeah. that, too. And a lot of people get uh, sweaty palms when they sure. come to the boat ramp. <laughs> yes. And they, okay, I'm going to be in front of everybody in the world, yeah. and I'm backing down my boat, and I haven't done this in six months or you know eight months tell us a bit about what toyota is helping you out with yeah absolutely that's the big thing and i haven't trailered much but i've trailered enough to know that backing up a trailer is difficult it's counterintuitive when you want to go left you got to turn right and you want to go right you got to turn left so backing up a trailer is difficult and most of our customers are, are recreational tra trailer towers, right? They don't tow a trailer all the time, but maybe their boat or their camper, you know, a couple times a year. And if you don't do it all the time, well, you don't become an expert at it. So we did a trailer backup guide. And the trailer backup guide, what it does is it'll, it'll help prevent jackknife situations or situations where you're, you're not driving the trailer back straight. There's overlays on the multimedia screen that kind of help you point the right direction and tell you which way to turn the wheel. And that's one side of it. The other side of it is we have what's called straight path assist. And which, I love this. This is really, this really was, cool. This was oh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, which will actually keep your trailer on its intended path, no matter the what way the cab of the truck is facing. You could be at 30 degrees off, but your trailer's gonna go back straight. And it does it automatically without any input from the driver. All you're doing is controlling the gas and the brake. The steering is done automatically to take your trailer 
straight back on its intended path. Yeah. It, it really is a neat trick. So if you line up the trailer to go down the boat ramp mm-hmm. or into the camping spot, Correct. you know, that tight camping spot or wherever, and the truck is cockeyed to it at some angle, it'll go straight as long as you do this. It, absolutely. It'll take that trailer straight back to that campsite, to the boat launch, wherever you're going right. with it. So as long as you can figure out the gas and the brake pedal. Yep, that's all you got to do. <laughs> very, very neat trick, yeah. yeah. Let's talk a bit about infotainment systems. Sure. I mean, frankly, mm-hmm. Toyota has sold cars despite having maybe <laughs> not the best infotainment systems over the course of the years. And, you know, we've talked about, about that on the radio show uh, several times. Uh, but that's all changed with this Tundra, isn't it? Yeah. It's big time. It has. And, and the Tundra is debuting our all-new Toyota Audio Multimedia. And that's big for us in the fact that this new Toyota Audio Multimedia is all new from the ground up, developed in North America, right here in Texas, um, with the end result of the customer experience in mind. We really wanted to improve the customer experience and make this uh, audio multimedia system really easy to use, clean, crisp, great lines, great looking, and we just wanted to make it very intuitive. and and. Connected Technologies, they did a fantastic job with this new system. You, you have either an 8-inch touchscreen or a 14-inch touchscreen display, which is which is very large. Yeah, I mean, that 14-inch touchscreen really catches yep. your attention, and you yeah. see a lot of detail you wouldn't otherwise see. Yeah, no, and, and we've got Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, which are both done wirelessly, which is, a, um, which is nice on Tundra. Uh, it's a first for a Toyota other than Supra, who has Apple CarPlay that's wireless, but it was the first time in uh, for us to use Apple CarPlay and Android Auto wirelessly. Well, uh, tell us a bit about, more about it. I think it, as you are using that, basically, it's if you know how to use a smartphone, yes, then you intuitively know how to use this new system. Yeah, the pinch and zoom on it, like your cell phone, is is very easy to use. And I know other systems, and we've had systems that had pinch and zoom uh, functionality too, but they never seem to work like your your iPhone, right? Um, and they really went to work making it work like an iPhone or an Android phone because, I mean, honestly, we're on our phones all the time and most, most customers know how their phones work and, and want the same uh, intuitive level of your, your phone on the screen. Let's talk a bit about the truck bed because sure. there's news there too, and this is a truck after yeah. all, so. Tell us a bit about that. Uh, uh, this is probably one of my favorite features, and it sounds weird because all the cool stuff, the twin-turbo V6 and a great multi-link suspension, but this composite bed that we went with is, is really neat, and it's a, an aluminum-reinforced sheet-molded composite bed, and we've used this for many years in Tacoma. It's been in Tacoma since 05, and uh, a lot of our customers were like, well, why don't we have a composite bed in Tundra? And that was more feedback from our customers. Like, we love the composite bed in a Tacoma. It'd be great if it was in a Tundra. And, well, now we have it in a Tundra. So it's a composite bed. It's aluminum reinforced. And the big thing here is it resists denting. It resists corrosion. It's lighter. And, you know, anytime we could make the truck lighter is good for performance and gas mileage. It really kind of rounds out the whole package on the truck here. And it's really tough. Uh, we've got almost a 2,000-pound payload, 
And that was the, the balancing act, being able to use this, this composite bed and not lose capability. And uh, we did a, the engineers did a fantastic job. With and towing capacity, I think it's 12,000 yeah. pounds. So, so. We, we've got up to 12,000 pounds towing capacity and all the trucks can tow very well, but 12,000 pounds is, is the max on that truck right now. Very cool. Well, we'll look for that. Ken Munkel, thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. No problem, Jack. Happy to be here. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack D-Rad with you, along with Chris Teague. And uh, it is the final segment of the program today, a final segment of the, uh, the last program before Christmas. And because of that, our listener question is about Christmas. It's Christmas-themed. And the question is this, uh, and it comes from Emma, and she is in Orlando, Florida. Emma wants to know, how can I tell where Santa is and, and track him th- through Christmas Eve night, I, I just want to find out where he is. What can I do about that? So Emma asked that question. We have someone from OnStar who can answer that question. His name is Jeff Jones. So Jeff, take it away. Tell us how we can track where Santa is going to be Christmas Eve. That is awesome, Jack. Thank you so much. Uh, so OnStar has partnered with NORAD, which stands for North American Aerospace Defense Command, for over 10 years with thousands of calls each Christmas Eve from our members and their children requesting the location of Santa and his sleigh. And I can tell you this brings such great excitement to the children, uh, to the vehicle owners, and to the OnStar advisor who's interacting with the children as well. So how this works is a um, owner of a Chevy GMC Buick or Cadillac vehicle that has an active OnStar account can simply press their blue OnStar button inside the vehicle and ask for an advisor and then request the latest location of Santa. And using uh, data from NORAD and our partnership with their high-powered satellite and radars, uh, we are able to provide the latest and greatest location of Santa and his sleigh. That is terrific. So they just push the OnStar button in their GM vehicle that's equipped with OnStar, and they'll be able to track Santa. When will that take place? When can they start tracking Santa, and when does Santa's uh, journey end? This is takes place at 6 a.m. Eastern on Christmas Eve. So December 24th, 6 a.m. Eastern, you can begin pressing your blue OnStar button. And the fun lasts all overnight until 5 a.m. Eastern on Christmas morning. And I'd like to add, Jack, that um, with our partnership with the American Red Cross, each blue button key press requesting the location of Santa will be a $1 donation from OnStar up to $10,000. Uh, for the entire Christmas Eve Santa and his slate location effort. Ah, that is terrific. So a donation to the Red Cross in addition to just tracking where Santa is. It sounds like win-win all the way around. Well, uh, Jeff, thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And that is our show for today. Please have a Merry Christmas and join us again on Christmas Day for the next edition of America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. 
And if you're looking to buy a new car, a used car, just want automotive information, go to drivingtoday.com. That's drivingtoday.com with a world of automotive information for you. Drivingtoday.com, the official automotive website of America on the Road.